This is the right Sunday for today's message. Uh, we are currently kind of laying out our, our vision as a church, and our vision actually isn't anything new or novel. It's the vision, the capital V vision, the, the one that Jesus gives us uh, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the purpose of the church, the the map that lays out our whole life, that vision, that's what we've been talking about. And so we've summed it up really simply as our goal is to grow mature disciples of Jesus by equipping God's people to speak God's word in loving relationships to one another and to our neighbors. Last week we looked at the why of this vision. We looked at the big picture view of what God is doing. And as we looked in Titus chapter two, we saw that Jesus came to purify for himself a people zealous for good works. Or, if you want the way that Revelation puts it, it's that all of history is moving towards and culminating in a time where people from every tribe and every tongue will gather around Jesus at the center of our lives for eternity in worship. Uh, we could draw many other where we are going passages, um, but they all focus on what God has done in Jesus Christ and what that means for us, specifically that God is conforming us, this is Romans' words, conforming us into the image of his Son, making us more like Jesus. So let me ask you a question this morning. If you're a Christian this morning especially, why did you come this morning? Now, we can give a lot of appropriate and good answers to that. Uh, we, can, we can say, I came, I came to worship. Uh, we can say, I came to learn about who God is. But one of the primary emphasis uh, that's laid out for the church, one of the primary answers, as we'll see this morning, has to finish with the phrase, one another. If, if it's just about us in isolation, then we've lost sight of the big picture of what God is doing. God didn't just come to save you. He came to save us. God isn't just conforming you to his image. He is conforming us to his image. The reason why we come to church is because there's a part of the Christian life that we can only do together. And that's really, really easy to forget uh, when we are in a time uh, in history where we've gotten really good at carving out so many facets of community. You've never met the farmer that grows your food, right? We've, we've, we've created all these processes. You don't even have to go to the restaurant that makes the food anymore. It will come to you, right? And you know the name of your deliverer and he hands you the bag out the window and he's gone, right? But the way the church is designed to work, we need one another. And that doesn't just mean you need the church, it also means the church needs you. And so this morning what we're going to talk about is the how. The why, as we saw, is because God's great endeavor in human history is to make a body of people, a bride of Christ, a worshiping community of all nations, tongues, and tribes, and the how we're going to see, like is communicated in that second line, is by equipping God's people to speak God's word, and we should add the beginning phrase of the next one, in loving relationship. That's it. You could just pack up and leave right now. That's the whole point of the message this morning. That is how disciples are made. That's how you grow in your Christian life. That's how you help others to grow in their Christian life, by speaking God's word in loving relationship. It's relatively simple. Now, what I'd like to do right now is turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're in need of a Bible this morning, you'll find one right in front of you. Ephesians is a New Testament book, and you can use the index at the front to find it. will be in chapter 4. I know as a pastor I shouldn't play favorites, but honestly, Ephesians is one of my most beloved books. It's a favorite. It really is. There's lots of other books in the Bible that, that I enjoy and they all nourish me, 
but Ephesians has shaped me. And maybe it's just because Ephesians is effectively a biblical theology of the church. And in my role as a pastor, that's pertinent information. But it's also, it's also a book that has continuously spoken to me for reasons I don't understand. Maybe this book and 2 Corinthians are the ones that I regularly turn to when I just don't even know the right questions to ask, let alone the right answers to my questions. And so, effectively, like I said, Ephesians is a theology of the church, and so if you read it through, here's what you'll discover. In the beginning, Paul lays out what God has done and is doing and will do in Jesus Christ. If you read very carefully in chapter 1, you'll see that his explanation of the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ go all the way back to the beginning, before you were born, before the world even was, saying that the Father has predestined us in his Son. And it goes all the way into eternity, saying that, uh, that the place that he's going is to bring us into fellowship with him eternally. You will also notice that it talks about all three persons of the Godhead and their role in salvation. So the Father has uh, predestined and adopt us, adopted us, the Son has redeemed us, and the Spirit is our seal uh, that is working in and through us. Paul lays out all of this salvation, and then he goes on, he shows why we need a Savior in chapter 2, and significantly, that all of the divisions we make as human beings, divisions between nations, divisions between race, divisions between gender, all those barriers that cause conflict and isolation are significantly broken down in Jesus Christ. That's the end of chapter 2. Uh, in chapter 3, it starts to walk out God's big plan, Paul's pastoral heart, uh, that, that uh, we would be on earth like the temple in the Old Testament, filled with the fullness of God. God's mission in your life, in the words of Ephesians, is that God has aspirations for you to be his temple, the place where people come and meet with the Lord. And just like the temple in the Old Testament is overwhelmed by the presence of God and the priest can't even minister, that's, that's the trajectory you're on in your life, to be filled with the fullness of God. It's when we get to chapter 4 that he gets to his application. And what I want to draw your attention to is that the application he gives on, now, how do you live? With regard to everything God has for you, with regard to everything God offers you in Jesus Christ, how do you live? How do you grow in that? How do you step into that? And I want you to notice that the answer is in the plural. We do it together. I actually want to read beginning here in verse 1, but we're really only going to focus on verses 11 through 16 today. But read with me Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, because of everything Paul wrote before this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope which belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. 
Father, the simple truth of this passage is that we grow when the people of God share with us the word of God. And this is that. As we open your word, as I uh, exposit the text, as we look at what your text says, as we read it and seek to understand it together, I pray, Lord, that you would mature us, that you would grow us in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in your name. Amen. Did you notice how plural the application is here? Even when he begins and he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, all the words that follow are relational words. We walk with humility. We walk with gentleness. That's how we treat other people. Patience. Patience with other people. In fact, it grows from there. Bearing with one another in love. And I've done the word study there. You know what bearing with one another in love means? It means putting up with one another. I love the realism of the New Testament. We are a people collectively to be tolerated. (laughs) Paul knows that, and he calls us to it. But even there, notice where he goes next. What's the first thing he says? He talks about the character we're to have together, and then he points out that we've all been given the same thing. Look again at verse 4. There is one body. One. All of us are connected to the same body. There is one spirit. All of us are filled with the same Holy Spirit, given the same gift. There is one, uh, one hope. We all share the same destiny. We're headed towards the same place. One Lord, we worship the same Jesus. One faith, we believe the same doctrine. One baptism, we all enter into Christianity the same way, identifying with Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. One God and Father, Now that one's really helpful, isn't it? Because if we all share the same father, what does that make us? Family. One father who is over all and through all and in all. Okay. So here's the point. God's plan is communal. Where God is heading involves us, a we, not just each as individuals. It's not commodified into this person and this person and this person. One body. That's God's goal. The wall's broken down. Okay. That's where we're headed. And notice, in doing so, suddenly Paul shifts gears and he says, we have all of this in common, but in that community is diversity. In that unity are different gifts, he says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, he's not just talking about the fact that we've all been given the gift of salvation. The word there for grace, uh, he's using in a different way. You can tell by what follows. Gifts were given to each one of us. It's very similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he encourages and says, we are all part of one body. Each and every person has a role in the body. And then he says, each and every part of the body has a role in the body. Okay, And so we're one body, and each of us exist for the building up, for the edification of the body. Those two truths are connected. They go together. They, uh, they are connected. And he does the same thing here. So here's the point. If you were a part of the church, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you've been given a role to play in the body. Okay. He then goes on, he quotes from Psalm 68, and he says, this explains why Psalm 68 talks about the one who ascended on high as a victory and then shared out the spoils. Effectively, this is what Jesus promises. He says to his disciples, it's a good thing that I'm leaving. Have you ever thought about how the disciples would hear that? Here's this man who has changed their life, who they've seen transfigured before them because he is filled with the glory of God because he himself is the Son of God, God in the flesh, who has loved them perfectly who has led them and instructed them and healed them and brought them into the ministry of healing. And he says, I'm leaving. And that's good. But this is how he finishes. He says, it's good that I go away because I cannot send the helper until I leave. That's what Paul is picking up on here. When Jesus ascended, he was given the gift of the Holy Spirit to pour out on the church. Those of you who are familiar with the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, 
Jesus has told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the promise from the Father comes. And they're all praying in the upper room. And then the Spirit pours out upon them and they begin to speak praises to God in languages they do not know. And they run out into the streets where there's a festival that's gathered all the Jews from all the nations. And they hear in their own language the great works that God has done. And Peter stands up and he says, what you're seeing right now is because Jesus, our Messiah, has come, died, and raised, and he has poured this out, and it's for you and all who will believe after you. That includes you this morning. Okay. And so that's what he's talking about there. And I want to draw your attention, and this is where we're going to focus, uh, is, is on verse 11. He gave Jesus... Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Okay. Here's the question. What we want to talk about this morning is how the body grows, right? Uh, like, um, like Mary from the old rhyme, right? How does your garden grow? Except here it's not silver bells and cockle shells and whatever all in a row. Uh, it's, that's the question. How does the body grow? Okay, before we look at that, I want you to notice where we're headed. Paul says that he gave these folks to the church so that we could get to this place. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now, I know honestly and personally that sitting through a children's sermon can be a difficult thing. Okay, especially if it's not your kids. I get that. Uh, Nick talked about the stress that comes from our own kids. I know you know about the stress that comes from our own kids. I get that, okay? But, but consider what we just read, that the goal is not just for you to cross the finish line, but for us, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, okay? Unity of the faith there, notice we are one, we're, in fact, we all share one faith, but Paul says we're moving towards one faith. We are in name and in purpose one. And our goal in life is that we would grow in reality to be what we are, one. And notice it's one in faith, unity of the faith. The thing that unifies us is what we believe, who Jesus is. This is why doctrine actually matters. Okay. This is why we can't say, why can't we get along with a bunch of diverse opinions? It's because we're not growing uh, in, in an isolated, individualistic, American melting pot sense where we all have a part to play in terms of opinions. Our goal is to conform collectively to the mind of Christ. One thought. Okay. So one way he describes it there is the unity of the faith. And then notice, until we attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. Like I said, for many of you, when I asked, why do you come to church this morning? That was probably your answer. To grow in my understanding of who Jesus is and what God has accomplished for him. My words, but your thought. Okay, that's here. So that we would grow in the knowledge of God. There is no growing in following Christ without growing in knowing in Christ. And we all have more growing and knowing to do. Okay? And then, I think most helpful here, notice where he goes next. He says, to mature manhood, verse 6, to the measure and the stature of the fullest, fullness of Christ. Now, notice there, that is our collective goal, that we would grow into mature manhood, that we would grow into the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, okay? Not merely as individuals be more Christ-like, but collectively as the church be the fullness of Christ. Just take the reality of the spiritual gifts, okay? The New Testament says that God has given out these gifts, differing one to each one's, but in Jesus, all the gifts were present. The Spirit was given without measure. It operated in fullness. For us to reflect who Jesus is to our world and to one another, we work together. We all have a part to play. We are all collectively the body of Christ, not individual, uh, you know, commoditized one after another, exactly the same little Jesuses. We're all the hands or the feet or the eyes or the ears of the body. But what I want to draw your attention to is that idea of maturity. 
And he even puts it physically, the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we would grow to the same size as Jesus. Maturity here is one of the primary words the New Testament uses for where we're going. The idea here is that when we become Christians, when you receive Jesus, you are born again. It's like a new birth. It's a fresh life. And inherently then, you are immature. You're alive, but you're only beginning. That's why it's appropriate to talk about um, following Jesus in the sense of making a single decision and following Jesus in the sense of constantly growing in obedience of following Jesus. Okay? There really is a conversion. There really is a transition. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you don't enter into following Jesus by going through the motions, walking as he walked, doing what he does. You have to recognize the great truth that Jesus laid out, that you are a sinner in need of saving, that you are currently spiritually dead, and that he is offering you freely in his death the gift of salvation, new life. You are darkness, Paul says. And God wants to transfer you into the kingdom of light. You are dead, Paul says here in Ephesians 2, in your transgressions and sins. But God will make you alive in Jesus Christ. And so it's this instantaneous conversion reality. And then it is walked out and grown out throughout the rest of your life. That's where maturity comes in. Okay. Let me ask just a really simple, convicting question. Wherever you are this morning in your walk with Jesus, do you feel like currently... Recently, you were growing. You should be. That's the goal. You're not just in a holding pattern now that you've received Jesus waiting for the end of your life. You're, you've been born again, and God seeks to grow you into maturity in Christ. And once again, I want you to notice that that's a collective goal. Okay. Now, how? How are disciples made? Not just by preaching the gospel and people responding to Jesus, but also seeing them mature as disciples of Christ. How does that happen? One of the easy answers is, well, isn't that your job, Justin? Isn't it your job to, to grow disciples? And the answer is absolutely. Look again at verse 14. How is it that we're going to mature? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers... Notice here that this gift list, unlike the one in 1 Corinthians 12, or Romans 12, or 1 Peter 4, is listed as particular roles or offices. So it's not the gift of teaching here, it's teachers. Okay? It's not the gift of evangelism, it's evangelists. Okay? And God says that he has given these folks to the church. And when we ask why, as we already read in verse 6, it's to cultivate mature manhood, but the question here is, how do apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers do so? Notice what it says here. Verse 12. He gave them to the church, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who does the work of ministry? We do. Not we as in apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. We as in the whole church. Okay, now, if you have an older translation, there may actually be an unfortunate comma there. The way the Catholic Church read this for centuries was, God has given these people to the church to equip the saints, comma, given them for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so they would say, pastors and teachers have three things they do. They equip the saints, they do the ministry, and they build up the body. That is not what this sentence says. It says, we equip the saints so that the saints can do the ministry, which builds up the body. Okay. That makes sense of the whole body metaphor. In fact, notice what Paul says in verse 16. So, verse 15, um, for context, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Remember maturity, the fullness of the stature. Listen to this, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay. 
The goal of pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists is to keep each individual part of the body healthy enough to work together for the sake of the whole body. To equip the saints means to arm you with the tools you need to do the work of ministry. How do we make disciples? Does God raise up some people and send them out as missionaries? Does God raise up some people? See, the problem is, anytime we get into a theology of the church that has two classes, the priest and the parish, the layman and the workers, the missionaries and the rest of us, we misunderstand God's design in Jesus Christ. We misapply the reality that God has given gifts to each one of us for the building up of the body. Okay? And so, why do we gather on Sunday? One reason we do so is so that pastors and teachers can equip the saints. Now, notice there's a, there's a, there's a duality to that. By what I'm doing right now, hopefully... As we exposit the text together, as I explain the truths of Jesus Christ to you, you are growing in maturity. But you're also growing in the ability to help others grow. When you read your Bible to yourself, you are growing in your understanding of the knowledge of God, but you're also growing in your ability to share that knowledge with others. Now here's what I love. I love the simplicity of the how that makes disciples. It's not a program. It's not a practice. You don't have to have a degree. And I hope this doesn't make any of you nervous, but I don't have a degree. I never went to seminary. Okay. Uh, You don't have to have an official role in the church. You just have to be a part of the body. You just have to be filled with the Spirit, and you just have to have at your disposal the Word of God. Because how is it that the body grows? What does it say? It says there, verse 15, rather by speaking the truth in love. That's the answer. When the people of God share the Word of God in loving relationships, That's making disciples. That's how the church grows. That's how the church grows in the sense that we grow in our maturity, and it's how the church grows in the sense that other people come to know who Jesus is and become part of the church. How do we do what Jesus called us to do when he says, go therefore and make disciples? Matthew 28 says, go therefore and make disciples by teaching them, by baptizing them. Okay? We bring them into the church by sharing with them the word of God, the knowledge of God. Okay, now, notice another, uh, another reason why this is a good text this morning. Because the thing that Paul suggests is each of us as individuals needs this every member ministry, needs this word body ministry, needs this speaking the truth in love. Why? What does it say in verse... 14, so that we may no longer be children. Okay. Consider the children we had uh, sharing this morning. Considering they're present with us this morning, recognize that in a spiritual sense, that's where we begin our lives as Christians, as children. Now, actually, Jesus says that's the only way we can begin. That the only way we can come into the kingdom of God is as a little child, because it has to be dependence. It has to be faith. We don't come to God with a righteous resume and say, God, here are the things that I can offer you. Will you accept me? We come saying, God, you've done everything for me in Jesus Christ. I need it, and I stand on it. I trust in it. That's a child. It's dependence. Okay? It's simplicity. For those of you who can still remember when you became a Christian, do you remember that simplicity? How you were just overwhelm, uh, overwhelmingly full with gratitude and love for God and just had a hunger to know him better, to spend time with him. That's what it means to come as a child. But there's another sense. There's another sense uh, where, where the goal is maturity. Not leaving behind that dependency, but deepening in it because children are vulnerable. 
When you first become a Christian, you are vulnerable. He says here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay? An aspect of our immaturity, and I want you to think this morning not as if some in the audience are immature and some are immature. I want you to notice that we're all in process this morning. We all have places of immaturity and places where we've grown in Jesus. That means that we're all vulnerable. And how do we deal with those vulnerabilities? Okay. Notice what they are. It's being tossed back and forth by every other belief system. Have you ever been in those periods of time? Are you there this morning where your life is just chaos because you don't know what you believe and you turn to this thing and you turn to that thing and you kind of believe this thing overall? Or can you look back on your life and just go, I can't believe I was ever caught up in that craziness. Okay. That's just human nature. Human beings are gullible. Okay. And to some degree, that's because the only way we can learn is independence of others. When the news reports the news at night, you weren't there. When you read a textbook about history, you weren't there. When you take a science textbook and it says these are the laws and the way things work, you haven't done every experiment that proved that. Any shared knowledge involves authority and therefore is vulnerable. Okay. Now that's true of what I'm doing here this morning. But the way that we protect ourselves from that vulnerability is by in, uh, enwrapping everything in our lives in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is true. Because the authority for me is not here, but here. Okay. And so as we grow to know who Jesus is, we recognize the counterfeit. When I left for college, I had just recently become a Christian, and so the whole idea of religion fascinated me. And so I was a religious studies major. And a very dear, older Christian woman who had known me since I was little and only known me as a Christian for a short time, she, she said, Justin, just, just remember. Remember that the best thing you can do to understand other religions and to be helpful for other religions is to know the scriptures. And she said, you don't study every counterfeit bill so that you can spot a counterfeit. You know, like the back of your hand, the real deal, right? Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. It still makes sense to me, okay? But here's, here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to convey this morning. That the body grows when the people of God use the word of God in loving relationships, how is it that we get away from being so uh, vulnerable, being tossed back and forth, uh, being subject to those who have craftiness and deceitful schemes? Because let me point out to you, a lot of people don't have your best interest in mind, and they want you to believe what they want you to believe for their benefit. Okay? Rather, we do this together by speaking the truth in love. Okay. Now, the New Testament talks about this every member word ministry continuously. And it sucks that we've gotten so bad at seeing it. Okay? We've settled for an approach to ministry that is passive, where the largest part of the body of Christ is the butt. It's just sitting in the seats. Okay? That's, that's just where we are. And it doesn't surprise me because we live in a capitalist culture where we generally think as consumers. But that's not what the body of Christ is. That's not how the body of Christ functions. And when it tries to function like that, it functions weakly. Like if only one part of your body was healthy and was trying to drag the rest of it along. It's like pulling yourself along the desert by a finger. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. And so if you read the New Testament and you watch for these two principles, the body doing the ministry, every Christian, and doing it by utilizing the word of God, you will see it on every page. How does the Bible talk about the church growing in the book of Acts? And the word of God increased, and the word of God grew, and the word of God spread over and over and over again, more than 12 times. Those are the progress reports that Luke gives us for the early church. I want to just draw your attention to a few texts. The first one is in the sister letter to Ephesians, Colossians. So flip past Philippians to Colossians. 
in chapter 3. Paul is laying out for the church in Colossae the same things he was telling the church in Ephesus. In fact, if you look at verse 12, you'll see the therefore. Put on then. Okay. But what I want to draw your attention to is verse 16. Remember, he's not speaking to pastors here. He's not speaking to leaders. He's written a, church, a letter to the entire church, and he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Okay. The word of Christ should dwell in us richly, and we should all be teaching and admonishing one another. Not all of us have the gift of teaching, but all of us are called to teach one another. Not all of us have the office of teacher, but all of us are called to participate in this word ministry. Let me give you another example. The author of Hebrews gives us his answer for why we gather. Why do we come to church? His concern in the book of Hebrews here is that some have stopped coming to gather with the church. Some have gone, it's not worth it. They've gone, it's just, it's just me and Jesus. I love Jesus and I hate the church. Or, or a thousand other, you know, I can, I can worship Jesus in nature. It doesn't really matter. Here he gives us the answer. Why do we gather? And I want you to notice what it is in Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, I want to put it bigger than that. Not just why do we gather on Sundays, but what has God done in Jesus Christ? Because that's where he starts in chapter 10, verse 1. Hold on, it's not chapter 10. Oh, it is. It's just starting in 21. Uh, so, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. In other words, therefore, since Jesus has removed all boundaries that stand in between us and a relationship with God, because he's paid the way with his own blood so we can walk into the holy place and know God personally. What should we do? Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Second, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice there when he says that we're to consider how to stir up one another for love and good works, the opposite of that is not gathering together. Why do we come on Sundays? It's here to stir one another up, one another to love and good works. Or as he puts it in the second, by encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the coming of Jesus more clearly and more closely. Let me point out something that I think is just beautiful in this verse. He doesn't just say, let us stir one another up. He says, let us consider how to. You know what that is? That's intention. That's foresight. You want to know what this looks like on a Sunday morning on your drive to church? It looks like thinking, has God spoken to me anything this week? Have I learned anything that might be of encouragement to someone else? It looks like praying before church and saying, God, I'd really like to encourage someone this morning. Would you give me the opportunity to do so? In fact, let me lay out something that I think is really significant. When we talk about the body growing through speaking God's word, that's in dependence upon God's spirit. Okay? One, because God has spoken through his word, which was authored by his spirit. Two, because it's the spirit that works to illuminate and to explain and to apply the text. You remember Jesus' parable about the kingdom and the sower? Right? The sower goes out and he throws the seed, and in some places it grows, in some places it doesn't, and it all has to do with the quality of the soil, right? That's the word ministry that we're all called to. But the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the fallow ground fertile. The Holy Spirit is the one who deepens our understanding, softens our hearts, speaks in conviction inside and outside the church 
I hope you can hear all of the biblical references that lay behind this, okay? They're everywhere. And so this means two things then. If it's the Spirit by the Word of God that does the work, first, we should use it in hope. Every time we open the Word of God, we should expect it to do something because the Word of God is living and powerful, Hebrews tells us. Because Isaiah says the Word of God does not return void. What I'm telling you is in the work that we are called to as a church, the Bible does the heavy lifting. Okay? But it also means that we should come in dependence and prayer, asking God to do what he says he will do with his Word. But here the author of Hebrews says we do it with consideration. We do it with intention. One of the primary reasons you should answer after this Sunday for every Sunday when you come. Why do you come to church? You come to build up the body. You come to share the word of God, to teach one another, to encourage one another. And this isn't just about Sundays. This is about our day-to-day lives as Christians. This is about what we're doing together collectively as a family. In fact, it really only works in loving relationship. You can't You can't do this ministry to its fullness on Twitter. You can't. You can just, you can take every verse in the Bible and schedule Twitter to just roll out one a day. It's living and powerful. It will do what it's supposed to do, but the way this is designed is in the context of loving relationships, in the midst of life, while you're washing the dishes, while somebody is weeping because they just lost their job and they have no idea where rent is going to come from while they're facing questions they don't have answers to, and you turn to the scriptures together. And this is another thing we need to understand here. Word ministry is incredibly diverse in the way that it works, in the way that it happens. Not all of you are called to do what I'm doing this morning, to open the Bible and explain it to someone over the course of an hour, okay? The New Testament, even in what we do with the word, has 11 different terms for what the New Testament church did with the word. They proclaimed it. They explained it. They defended it. They conversationalized it, okay, meaning that it was just a day-to-day talking about. When you encourage someone with the word of God, you do word ministry. When you read the Bible with someone, you do word ministry. When you just tell them who Jesus is and you're just, you're not reading the Bible, but you're just speaking the truth of scripture, When your child has a bad dream at night and you're comforting them that Jesus is real and present, that's word ministry. When we do the catechism and we seek to explain and understand better for ourselves, that's word ministry. When we admonish one another, when we confront one another, we speak the truth in love. There's so many manifestations and versions of this. And let me give you the most important part, okay? Discipleship is every every member ministry, and that's true in all of our lives. We don't need a discipler. We don't need one person who's now responsible for us for the rest of our days. It doesn't work like some sort of mentor flowchart where each of us has someone over us and someone under us, and it just goes on that way. It works together. It works collectively as a body. And so how can you do this? How can you be helpful to people? Guys, it's so simple. You know where people are heading purifying for himself a people zealous to good works, where all of us are conformed into the image of Christ, obedient to his will, mature. All you have to do to do this ministry is ask, where is there one place, what is one thing I can do to help them take a step forward? You don't have to make mature disciples, you have to mature disciples. And that's one step at a time, it's one conversation at a time, it's one moment at a time, And as we collectively do this, we grow. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you know this is the case because you are the product of this. There are times where God's word has laid alive like a wire full of electricity and it's just gotten your attention on a Sunday morning. There have been times where people counseled you from the word of God and you found a clear path where you thought there was no path. There have been times where people just were present with you and encouraged you. They couldn't fix your problem, but they reminded you of the big truths on the table. This is, this is who we are as a church. This is what the church is. This is how the church works. Listen again, going back to Ephesians 4. 
Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Twice there he emphasizes in love. Like I said, this happens in loving relationships. That's why we can't evangelize the world. We can't make disciples until we make relationships. Okay. Once again, I, uh, a radio station of gospel presentations works. I know too many people who have gotten saved just turning the dials or stumbling across something in the middle of the night on TV to deny that. But the primary way that evangelism works is in the context of relationship. When Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, you don't have to go to Africa. You can go home. You can go to your dinner table. You can go to your place of work. Okay. And it happens in the context of love, truth and love. That's why God gives us gifts that aren't just word gifts. So many of the gifts listed in the New Testament are word gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right here, they're all word gifts. Okay. But also prophecy, also encouragement. Okay. And then there are also service gifts. Service gifts like helps and administration and service itself. There are ways that we come alongside people and we speak the truth to them. In fact, where it says here speaking the truth in love, that word for speaking isn't actually in the Greek. It's literally truthing in love. That means you do it by your example and your embodiment just as much as you do it with your mouth. Okay. We be the body of Christ. And in doing so, we love people and that speaks because that's the message that we bring. It's a message of love. But I want you to notice that according to verse 16, Christ has joined and held together the whole body by every joint. Christ has equipped the body, has given gifts. And then notice, when each part is working properly. Okay. Every Sunday that you come, merely to receive and leave, you weaken the body of Christ. We need you. We need you. Every time you don't show up at home group just because you don't feel like going, we make the body deficient. Every weakness the body has, we have together. Every immaturity we reflect is part of the whole immaturity of the body of Christ. And I don't say this to condemn you. Because the other beautiful truth is if it's just the people of God utilizing the word of God according to their gifts and dependence upon the Holy Spirit, then you can actually do this. That's why we let children read the psalm. That's a perfect metaphor for what we do with the word. We're limited in our understanding. We're afraid. We tremor to open the Bible with a stranger. But God uses it. He's happy. Jesus looked at the children who were praising him. Hosanna, Hosanna, out of the mouth of babes you have spoken your praise, he says. You don't have to know everything to share something. Okay. Let me just finish with one last idea. Go all the way back to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham, he says, I am going to bless you. And I believe that's what the word of God is. It's a blessing. I believe that's what's coming to church is. Hearing a sermon or hearing the catechism taught, it's a gift that God is giving to you, to, to your benefit. But he doesn't finish there with Abraham. He says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. The two always go together. God gives so that we might have something to give. Why does he provide for you? So that you would grow in generosity. Why does he speak the word to you? So that you may grow in your ability to love and to serve the body of Christ. Okay. And so, let me just put it simply again. What I'm calling for us as a church to do is to recognize the collective task that we've been given. To, as a whole body, grow in maturity in Christ. I'm calling us to be intentional in that and seek prayerfully opportunities to do this ministry, to speak the truth in love. And it's worth pointing out, I'm also asking you to humbly receive the ministry because you need it. 
so that you're not a child tossed to and fro, so that your aspects of immaturity are dealt with. Okay. The author of Hebrews, in a place that I can literally never find without doing a word search, he says that we need to admonish one another daily lest there be in us an unbelieving, hardening heart that leads us away from the Lord. That's the neutral path we walk on our own. We need other people to speak into our lives because, we, uh, because what sin does is it blinds us. And so we justify it. We smooth it over. We say it's no big deal. We forget it even exists. And soon we're not even showing up to church anymore. And we don't know why. We need to come to one another's lives and say, remember who God is. Don't neglect the, the truths of your salvation. Hope in God again. One of the primary ways God speaks to us is through his word. But one of the primary ways he speaks his word is through one another. We need that. Okay. And so... This is, this is our mission. Any, any event we have is built on this principle. It's an opportunity, a place, a gathering where the body can be the body and do the work of the body by speaking the word in love. That's true of home groups. It's true of Sunday mornings. It's the reason why I'm not the only one up here who engages in the word of God. It's because that's what we're called to do. And so we want as many people in the church to utilize the word of God in love to the benefit of the church so that we all grow to the fullness and stature of maturity in Christ. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, that doesn't mean there's no place for you here. I would encourage you, I would invite you, in fact, into that full participation. Just know that that's what you're going to find in this church is a people of God devoted to the word of God to better understand what we have in Jesus Christ. And we would say, come and see we would say, come see for yourself, know for yourself, sit and be learners of Jesus. Could this man be the Messiah? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your church. Paul says that not one of us can turn to any individual in the church and say, I have no need of you. That's true of the young and the old, the single and the married, those who we enjoy and those who get under our skin, those that we currently uh, are wrestling through a problem with and those that we do not yet know, Lord. We need the whole body so that the whole body can grow. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to, to walk out in these things, not because we are strong, not because we are smart, Lord, uh, but in dependence upon your Holy Spirit, trusting that your word is what it says it is and that it will accomplish what you say it will accomplish, trusting that as we share it humbly and lovingly with others and receive it from one another, that we will grow in our understanding of you and the knowledge of God and the unity of faith and the fullness of maturity. I pray, Lord, that you would develop an instinct, a reflex in us to look around the room at any given time when the Christians are gathered and say, where is a person I can encourage? Where is an opportunity for me to speak the truth in love? Help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen.